0: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is a CBC Podcast.
2: I felt a lot of hatred towards being a woman in general. I think if I would have been a dude dating a a trans woman, I don't think it would have been the same kind of reaction.
0: Welcome to Chosen Family, I'm Trano Winter.
1: I'm Thomas Leblanc.
0: That was Coeur de Pirate you just heard. Carl de Pirate is one of the most successful French-speaking artists of the last 25 years. She's like a cross between Avril Lavigne and Edith Piaf.
1: The emo pop-punk girl who hangs out at the mall. Exactly, meets but
0: like there's the piano element of her pop rooted in this French chanson tradition. Carl
1: de Pirate means pirate's heart. It's very poetic. Uh, her real name is Beatrice Martin. We're actually friends. We met before she signed a record deal 12 years ago, and we're basically aging hipsters, both of us. And I was really, really happy to have her on the show today to talk about her own coming out as a queer artist and also about her gig as a judge on the Quebec version of The Voice, La Voix.
0: That is my dream job.
1: I know. I just want to sit and judge. You need to have had like a huge singing career before that, but I know.
0: Well, Paul Abdul, you know, just saying. (laughs) Anyway, you'll get to hear our conversation with Carl Dupirat a little later in the show.
1: Okay, Trana, so a few weeks ago you posted on Twitter and Instagram a poll that I thought was really gutsy. You asked (laughs) your followers if you should bother to have sex ever again. Yes. And I I thought it said a lot about where you're at in your life.
0: I meant it kind of half-jokingly, you know. Um, I love... The fantasy of sex, and in many ways in my life, I feel like the fantasy has never fully lived up, or the reality has never fully lived up to the fantasy. But so my constant struggle is, is my desire to have sex ever actually strong enough to go through everything I need to go through in order to have it? It requires a kind of mental preparation. It requires a physical preparation, just like shaving my legs. And how
1: do you need to prepare mentally for that?
0: Well, I think for me, the mental preparation is the idea that I am going to have to spend a certain number of hours now with someone that I've never met before. I'm such a total introvert. And so for me, meeting someone for the first time, especially knowing that there's a good chance you're going to have sex with them, is just this experience for me that freaks me out a little bit because it requires so much vulnerability on my part. It's not a casual process for me.
1: I feel there's so much to unpack. Um, had it been a long time since your last sexual relationship when you posted that?
0: Yeah, I hadn't, hadn't had not had sex in a year. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, my celibacy is by choice. Right. Not that it matters. I mean, if I can't get laid, I can't get laid. But in my case, it's a choice. Right. Um. I don't want a one-night stand anymore. And I don't necessarily want a relationship, but I want... I want there to be an actual connection. I want there to actually be chemistry. I want to feel like whoever I'm going to be with is worthy of that moment with me. Of course, you know. Of course, it should be like that. You know, in my year of celibacy, like I'm flirting with men, I'm talking with men, I'm having sexual dialogue with men, but I'm not meeting.
1: Your sexting is, all, is I'm what sexting, you're saying. Yeah,
0: exactly. And like for a long time, that's been enough. Like I get my kick. Like. I get the satisfaction of having hot men sort of drool over me, which I love. I love sexual attention. (laughs) There is an exhibitionist side of me that... um, There's
1: there's a webcam girl inside of you. There
0: is, for sure. Honestly... (laughs) <laughs> if I wasn't so lazy, I'd be a sex worker. I'm positive. It's the hardest work. It's And the it's so work. time consuming. I know. But I've always been drawn to showing off and I like being objectified. I really fucking love it. It turns me on more than physical touch, honestly. But lately, I have been craving the next level. I have been craving the physical.
1: So now are you back on the market?
0: Well, so the poll, the people... <laughs> yeah, what's dis- the result of the poll? Spoke.
1: It was very close. Some some people were like, never have sex again? Yeah. Wow. It was
0: like fi- almost 50-50. So I did decide I was going to give grinder a shot. Oh, wow. Which for anyone who still doesn't know <laughs> i mean grinder is like basically like a gay hookup app i mean i know people find other types of relationships on there too right. i don't think it's exclusively sex but in the last year it's also become a place for trans people to meet people cuz you can on the app you can sort of choose your tribe and so you're in a group of people looking for the same thing what do you mean your tribe they offer you a list of tribes. So like your feature. But they your, use the word tribe? They use the word tribe. Oh, wow. So your profile is featured in that tribe. So there's the trans tribe, the twink tribe, the daddy tribe, wow. all of these. I different... mean, I don't
1: mean to sound like a gay uncle. It's just that I use a different app. Right. That's all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, I, but it's hard for trans identifying people okay. to How meet call... the people that they
1: want to meet. You know how do you call people who are interested in trans people sexually?
0: I've heard the term trans amorous. Oh, it's beautiful, used a lot, which I like. Yeah, I like a lot, but it's hard to find trans amorous people. Um, Why predominantly, at least towards trans females, the trans amorous demographic tends to be straight men. Okay, but straight men, you know. Are probably probably not
1: very conflicted about this at all. No, they're super chill, <laughs> relaxed.
0: But straight men really do freak out about their attraction to trans women. And so right. it makes it very difficult mm. for trans women to date because these men tend to not want to date. For them, we're just sort of sexual objects and we're sort mm. of allowing them to fulfill a sexual fantasy. And there's not really much feeling, even though clearly the potential for, feel- for feeling is there. Yeah. But what's great about the trans tribe on Grinder is that it's not just straight men. There's a lot of bi men okay. and openly bisexual men and pansexual men, which is a much better vibe because – as a trans female, like, my dating and sex experiences have, ba- has basically been exclusively with straight men. Right. And it has not been positive, and it has not been good.
1: Well, it's crazy because I feel like gay cis men, we take so much space in the queer community. Yeah. And then straight men are so conflicted about, you know, getting involved with trans women. Yeah. That it doesn't leave a lot of room no. for pansexual and bi men. Bisexual it doesn't. Men. And
0: I think it's still, these are still identities and sexualities that are misunderstood still to this day. I mean, we spoke about it with Margaret Cho when we had her on the show, that so many people still don't believe that bisexuality is a thing. Right. And pansexual means that you're attracted to all gender expressions. So, for example, if I were pansexual... I might find myself attracted to a cisgendered man, a cisgendered woman. I might also find myself attracted to a trans woman, a trans man, someone who's androgynous or non-binary. I mean, it basically means I'm open to it all, which is the future, you know. Um, but so you joined Grindr. Joined. What happened? Sort of instantly, like I like my profile was popping. You know, like I was like flooded with messages. Wow. Like all kinds of messages. I mean, ranging from the absolutely disgusting that like so many people don't even say hi. They just open with a dick pic. Yeah. Which I'm not opposed to. Like I kind of like to know what's going on (laughs) right off the bat. Like, but I mean, just to not even say hi first. Right. And I reached the maximum number of people you can block in a day in the first day. That's a thing? Yeah. Wow. It limits you on the free access. Like, you, oh. there's a certain number of people okay. you can block in a day. So i reached the maximum on the first day. <laughs> but I also, like, started exchanging with a lot of promising, interesting people. Yeah. One who I did actually meet, like, pretty quickly. Okay. I don't know. I just had a good feeling about this person. I was like, let's meet tomorrow. Which I never do. Wow. Usually I like draw things out. Usually I'm talking to people okay. for like two weeks before I'll set up a meeting. And then, yeah, the year celibacy came to an end.
1: Mm. Uh, so how was it? It Were- was amazing. Okay. It
0: was honestly really amazing and just really positive. And it was the first time in a long time that I actually felt comfortable with someone sexually. Like I felt like, I felt just, I think he is bi. No, pan, I think would be probably more accurate. And so I think that the idea of being with a pansexual man is that it also alleviates this pressure of me of having to perform like perfect femininity, Mm -hmm. because I know that they're also sexually drawn to, you know, men. Not that I'm a man, but like I just there is when you're with someone who's open to all gender expressions, for me anyway, just resulted in this feeling of freedom Mm -hmm. in the moment. And this, like, I don't need to worry about what I look like right now. And that was the first time that I've ever mm. experienced that with someone sexually. And I think that feeling of freedom allowed me to really actually enjoy it. Wow. So it was, like, it I'm was really a happy. really good night. And then we did it again a few days later. Is your, your mom it, listening
1: right now? Probably, which <laughs> is, like, <ugh. laughs> de Pirate, or Beatrice as I like to call her, arrived on the scene in 2008 when she was only 18. She was a baby. That's crazy. When she released that first album, self-titled, and she really stood out because of her unique musical style. She's a classically trained pianist, and she combines that with a more French, like, chanson singing tradition, so very soft, but she sings about these very intimate, very raw themes in the most epic way. So it's kind of emo- Beatrice also has a strong visual presence. Uh, she has lots of tattoos. She's a little bit punk looking. And early in her career, the press also revealed that she had posed nude when she was still a minor. But she always kind of used these stories to come out stronger on the other side. And I find that something that's very inspiring in her. So her media presence has always like, kind of subverted people's expectations of a young pop star.
0: And she's like kind of an expert on social media because she started when MySpace was still a thing. Like she was big on MySpace. <laughs> she,
1: she was. That's how she started. She was discovered on MySpace.
0: And she also found a lot of success in France, especially when she appeared as a judge on a show called Nouvelle Star, which was kind of like a French X factor. And I think that really was a game changer for her in France because now she can't go to Paris without being recognized, which and is pretty cool. That's,
1: that's, that's interesting also because when she's in France, I think she's really perceived as being very North American and the way she looks. But here, there's something very Parisian, very French about her style and about her influences.
0: Well, one thing that I really love about her is that she's really used her fame and her presence on social media to talk about things that are really important
1: to her. So in 2016, uh, right after the mass shooting at Pulse Nightclub in Orlando, She came out as pansexual. She came out as a queer person on on Vice in an op-ed. In the piece she writes, I settled for a heterosexual lifestyle because I was scared of rejection. After years of being awkward, both in bed and in relationships, I settled down, buried all my feelings deep inside, had a kid, and thought things were going to be all right. I was completely wrong. Whatever I had repressed all those years came rushing back the second after I gave birth.
0: I think it's really interesting that it was having a daughter that pushed her to be honest about her queerness because sometimes when people have kids or a family, they feel even more of a pressure to conform to a more heteronormative lifestyle. But for her, having a kid really pushed her to be honest with herself, which I find really beautiful. And I don't really hear a lot of coming out by Quebec celebrities. Is that a thing? How was hers perceived? I mean, it, it's,
1: it's a thing. I think people don't actually really care that much if you come out as being gay or a lesbian. Um, I think it's her using the word queer that really set people off. It's an English word, but you can still use it in French. And I think she was really criticized for using that word because people were like, oh, she is she a lesbian? And she identifies as pansexual. So I think there needed to be a bit of education. But she still had to deal with the repercussions of that.
0: Now Beatrice is going to have even more visibility in Quebec as she is a new judge on the Quebec version of The Voice, La Voix. She'll also be touring in Canada and the U.S. later this year with her latest album, En cas de tempête, ce jardin sera fermé. It's a
1: beautiful title. I
0: know, it means in case of bad weather, the park will be closed. It's kind of my mood for 2020. (laughs) One thing that was really interesting to me about the new album is that there's this very strong 70s French pop influence In particular, Dalida, who is also a huge inspiration for me. I love her. (laughs) Dalida was one of the biggest French singers um, in the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s until she tragically took her own life in 1987. So I was curious to ask Beatrice what it was about Dalida that she found so inspiring.
2: I always loved how these singers back then, Dalida or Charles Neville, everybody used to have very tragic songs but very upbeat uh, production yeah. value. So you know, you have this like really, really sad disco song, yeah. and I thought that was that was really fun.
0: Is sadness an important influence? Because I was listening to another interview that you had done. You were talking about one of your pre-show rituals and just sort of like you know, just sort of playing the piano and like getting yourself into a sad <laughs> state. Just of Just so mind. sad all the time. Is That. How important is sadness in what you do? I
2: think being sad is an important part of progressing in life. If you're not sad, you don't understand uh, things that are happening to you. Through pain, you can really grow. I don't know if that makes <laughs> of sense. Of course, yeah.
1: But <laughs> I, yeah. It's interesting because I think people are afraid to be sad. Of when course. we feel or experience sadness, but then we look up to these artists who serve us sadness. Yeah. And we're like, please, give me more. I know. But I mean, that's one of the reasons that I love
0: Dali Duts. Like, there's that tragedy. Yeah. There's like when you listen to that, that you tap into that sadness and it kind of allows you to purge your own feelings, you know. But
2: it's important to have artists that still do that because we're in a day and age where people don't want to think. So they yeah. listen to these types of music that are fine, you know, it's fine. But yeah, you have but to, it's soulless. It's, I mean, it's important to reflect as well. And, yeah. you know, if there's people like me that can keep on doing that, then that's, that's good.
1: I see you as the Taylor Swift of francophone pop because I feel you've really mastered the uh, revenge song Yes, it's something that you <laughs> Yes, <laughs> in a way that Taylor is known for she,
2: I'm a little less petty than Taylor <laughs> she, you are way less petty than Taylor
1: but she's known for that yes. and, and it's something I love about your songs is like how you I would be just terrified of you writing a song about our relationship is this has this come up in like private conversations yeah I've had some
2: people tell me like you know oh well I wouldn't want to be your boyfriend I'm like well I mean I'm, I never write directly about the people it's always very it has a. Lot of imagery, mm-hmm. uh, I, I love using images and metaphors for what I'm going through. Taylor did very direct mm-hmm. stuff, which is fine, I love her. Um, but I'm more into how can everybody relate to this song, right?
1: You had a song license called Ne M'appelle which yes. means don't call me. <laughs> There's really good instincts in this song about self-protection, about of course. wanting to know what the other person is up to, but also knowing that if you pursue that information, it's going to hurt you. Where does that Come from that sort of innate knowledge of how the human psychology works in relationships.
2: Um, in this day and age, it's very complicated to navigate relationships. I find. I mean, there's ways to see what your ex is up to in yeah. any form or yeah. matter. I mean, when you block somebody, it's that's that's a clear message. But and so for me, the Pelpo was more about regaining consciousness about the breakup and and also like it's so hard to date in Montreal. Like I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> it's really hard. People don't want to. Why is it harder here? I don't know guys sleep on mattresses on the floor and (laughs) they collect (laughs) girls cans I mean this this is literally this is this is literally what I'm talking about because this is what I've been through and and it's how am I pushing 30 and I'm still in these kinds of situations Mm. and and it's very hard to remember that whatever you always try to find people that are mirrors of what you feel about yourself.
0: Right. Mm. So
2: I that's that I was like, maybe I'm into shitty stuff because this is what I think I deserve and how do I change the narrative? So Bro. it's actually a commentary on like people our age dating and how it's complicated and like I'm sorry, people treat people like shit these yeah. days. It's really hard. Yeah. China, Nothing. you should write
1: a revenge song. <laughs> I know. I did actually I have my
0: first album coming out this year, so I've been dabbling in songwriting and I guess it's a question of, like, how much do I keep private? and But when someone's on your mind, it's sort of hard not to go there. Yeah,
2: of course. But that's why, like, the imagery and the metaphors are so important. I mean, I try to write music that people will listen to and right. relate to. That's that's why I do music. If if nobody listened to what I did and, like, didn't care about what I released, that, that then I wouldn't force it upon them. But do you feel like you're
0: <laughs> using music to, like send out a message to a specific person, even though you're not naming them, even though it's it's buried in metaphor, is there still an energy in you that's like... Creatively and telepathically yes, like yes, directing completely. it at them. Okay. Yes, yes,
1: yes. Yes. <laughs> I was once the object of a revenge oh song by someone you know. Wow, because we've vote. known each other for a long yeah, time. We, we did. Yeah, we,
2: we did. Um, and when
1: we met, I was dating this guy that I've I've dated for six years <laughs> who mm-hmm. actually composed the music for this podcast. He's still in my life, he's a close friend. Um but it's and and at the time he was a singer in an emo pup punk band.
2: Yes, I remember that.
1: And um, <laughs> and I was sleeping around and he wasn't having it and he wrote the song and just the, the 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 lyrics were I'm so over you and all the things that you do it was like just the <laughs> most annoying pop punk song what
0: can I do? Love, I'm so you.
1: you recently won a pretty big award here in Quebec uh so we yes. have our own that's the, that, for people outside of, of Quebec they need to understand that we have our own parallel Universe. Universe. Hollywood. The solitudes. <laughs> I mean, we do. Yeah, yeah, it's really
2: weird, but it's important.
1: So it is super important. Yeah. And there's the sort of main music gala here. You won the award for Best Female Artist. Yeah,
2: and Pop Album of the Year, pop- which was... It was crazy because I didn't really expect me winning anything. Mm.
1: You were stunned, and you became kind of a meme.
2: I, I am a meme. <laughs> I am a meme. You're just,
1: like, stunned because you won these awards against, like, legends. Ginette Renault. Yes. So Ginette was, she was managed by René Angelil, who was Celine's manager and husband. husband. And, to, you have this fascination of, like, how these people can can be so important to us as a culture, but also have no... Recognition outside of Quebec.
0: Right. No, it is really fascinating to me because I'm Anglophone. I didn't really, even though I grew up in Quebec, I didn't really grow up knowing about Quebec culture. All the culture that I consumed was so Anglophone. And then becoming friends with Thomas and even a bit before that, like just discovering that like there are all of these
1: stars here and that it's its own world is so fascinating to me. Do you get to explain that to sort of mystified? anglophones maybe in montreal oh, or yeah. people from outside or yeah, people like how from would france you describe
0: being a star in the quebec system?
2: <laughs> <laughs> i think that protecting our culture and our our the french language is very important i mean i play shows outside of canada uh in Edmonton in front of 2,000 people I still sing in French you know this is this is my way of keeping this tradition alive I'm still bilingual I still like to dabble in the English language sometimes but it's our little star system is a result of trying to protect this kind of culture right. and we're so it's it's so important for us to keep on having uh, content that's in French so this is the way that Quebecers support their culture yeah. and that's why we exist
0: what I also find fascinating though is that there is a part of that star system that still very much operates like Hollywood? Like, we have our own tabloids here. (laughs) Yeah. Like, (laughs) saint and, like... Well, I always say it's like Hollywood, but with people who do car dealership commercials. (laughs) Um, But, like, have you had experiences with, like, Quebec tabloids? And, like, when you look at, like, American stars, how would you compare... Um, oh. Those two things, or maybe you haven't had you can much still have experience a life here
1: in a way that, like, being a star in the U.S. seems like a really violent experience. Yeah, it depends that what kind of
2: star you are. I right. mean, if you're like, you know, Miranda Lambert, God bless her. I mean, that sucks. You're always like, you know, the, the, your husband is on The Voice, and then that falls into a certain category. It's it's very complicated. As soon as you do TV, this is when mm-hmm. you shift in another universe. And I remember from in France when I did Nouvelle Star, which is the American Idol of France, I fell into this category that was like. Like everybody knows you, like more you felt a so, yeah, more so than even really? just your musician, yeah, of course, mm. it's very weird. I know, like, my life is going to change with La Voix. I'm, mm. I'm aware of that, uh, especially in Quebec,
1: because you'll get to be a yeah. judge on the Quebec version of The Voice. Yeah. it's a very successful show very here. Successful, yes. It's yeah. been on for almost ten seasons yes. now. Um, it's your first season doing it, yes. and The Voice is different from American Idol because you have to pick a team. So you, you have do. you have to like it's not only judging and giving feedback, it's also to, like, deal with people's dreams and aspirations yeah. and also, like, sort of groom them. Oh, and it's you,
2: artistic direction. Like and from, you started shooting yeah, that. How yeah, has yeah. that
1: experience been so far? I
2: mean, I love the concept of The Voice because it's so positive. Like, you're just, like glowing up people all the time and right. you're so happy and it's it's a next it's a style exercise because like I'm not happy all the time. I'm more of a happy and sad kind of gal. <laughs> so, it's it's hard for me to like actually like um get that energy, but it's been such a great experience and it's so fulfilling and I love I, I that's what I wanted to do. I wanted so to So you do, actually
1: tap on the on the yes, button? Yes, you tap on the and button. Your s- chair and around.
2: And I was so I have motion sickness. So oh, the shit. first day that I was the, the chair was turning, I was like, I don't feel good. <laughs> oh
1: my God. God. And somebody, you didn't, didn't test the chair before that first no, day. No, no, no. And wow. somebody would
2: like bring me ginger ale every like <laughs> two minutes. It was really bad.
0: And like <laughs> back in the day, like when these kinds of shows started, like with American Idol, like around 2003, like were you a fan of those
1: kinds of shows? Uh-
2: well, we had Star Academy. When was, we talk about Quebec culture, that, that was Quebec culture. Right. Um, and it
1: it, it cre- Those shows in the early days, I feel, created stars. Oh, yeah. they did. Yeah. Oh, my
2: God. Like the people that were on that show were are legends. Like we mm-hmm. look up to them. Like mm-hmm. if I meet Annie Villeneuve, who was, <gasps> one I of saw the-
1: her at Starbucks. Oh, <laughs> that's the power see, of that's, Quebec that's, celebrity that's, culture. <laughs> yesterday, I was like, oh, my God. she's this con- She was a contestant on the first season <laughs> yes. of this show. And that
2: was very important for us because we grew up, <laughs> right. like it was TV. Like we didn't have the internet. Yeah. Or yeah. Like stuff like that. Okay,
1: so you were invested. Of
2: course. <laughs>
1: when you were a judge in France, uh, someone auditioned with one of your songs, and that's become a viral clip that everybody is talking to you about.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was like the audition, and, and this this guy comes along from Venezuela. And he well, says he's learned
1: French because learned French, of you? Yeah,
2: through my music, and just like start singing, and it's one of my songs. It's a song called Cri yeah. Tuba, who's I
1: mean, Beautiful song.
2: You know, sometimes you think that music travels, but not really, and you don't really think about it. And then this guy from Venezuela, like, just sings the song just so beautifully. I think I was gonna have my period soon, <laughs>
1: but I just started crying, like
2: in, like just the most yeah. intense crying because I was like, wow. I sometimes you forget the impact that your music right. has, and it just reminded me why I was doing that in the first place.
1: Merci,
0: Beatrice.
2: Um, je m'excuse. Je, je, je suis très very parce que euh, j'ai souvent voulu arrêter de faire de la musique.
1: Something I love about you is your full display of emotions. Yeah, that's what we're all about here. Yes, we're like we're all about. But I'm afraid I'm way more guarded. About sharing a lot about sharing emotions. Um, First, I have to say you're one of my favorite artists on social media. If people don't follow you, they have to follow you. You're quite
2: funny. You're funny.
1: (laughs) You're funny. You have a lot of like behind the scenes images. As an artist, it's hard sometimes to like feel I have to promote myself all the time. But you do it in a way that's like super cool and fun.
2: I just like laugh at myself all the time and i think people really appreciate that because it just like shows that you're not really taking yourself seriously i mean i know not a lot of artists want to do that and that's fine but it's my approach to feeling better about myself i have like um um bdd so it's like a body dysmorphic disorder Mm -hmm. and it's like it's it's weird because i hate seeing myself on social media it's so hard so for me to have memes made about my face and you know assuming that i i look a certain way and just laughing about it it really helps me cope with the whole social media stuff
1: In 2016, a few days or weeks after the Pulse nightclub shooting in yep. Orlando, which yep. was this like just horrific, homophobic just, just event, terrible, yep. you published a piece on Vice coming out as queer. At the time, you were dating a, a queer artist who is the, the front person of a legendary punk band yep. against me. There's so so much to unpack. Like You came out as queer, but I didn't know that about you. And I, I think I know you pretty well. well I'm
2: pansexual, so it's uh, I said queer queer because i thought it was important for me to like use that term it Mm -hmm. was a term that all my favorite artists use and people that i respect use so it wasn't an issue for me but it was a big thing here
1: why were you propelled to like come out at the time
2: um i was in love i think i i wanted to not hide what i was going through um I've always mentioned before that I was into everybody, but mm. uh, I don't think people caught the message. Right? Um, people so, didn't
0: take that seriously.
2: Not really. Uh, and I've, I mean, I didn't really think it through. I didn't think it would it would be have such an impact. It was just uh, me talking about who i was
1: at the time i remember i, w- I would never use the word queer in french because like i understand how like in the anglo world it means something but in right. french it's like it was like you're you're you could have been an alien at the time i'm pretty like, sure
2: pe- i would have said pansexual people <laughs> would, would have not understood as well i mean right. it's all terms that are fairly fairly new to society
1: and what was the reaction to the piece
2: i mean some in the rest of the world nobody cared everybody was like yeah it's great i'm su- you're super happy this right. is awesome and then in quebec it was just like traumatic thing.
1: Why do you think that is?
2: Uh people don't like to think that somebody that they think is one thing is actually another. Mm. And I felt a lot of hatred towards being a woman in general. I think if I would have been a dude dating a, a trans woman, I don't think it would have been the same mm-hmm. kind of reaction.
1: I've I've read last year a really powerful book called I'm Afraid of Men by a Canadian writer her name is Vivek uh, uh Shraya. And she writes in the book that homophobia is basically sexism and misogyny. That's what you're describing. Yeah. It was basically misogyny directed at you for not being what society was expecting you to be. There you be. go. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you heal sort of that really violent backlash?
2: I mean, I'm just happy people talked about it. All of a sudden, it just opened a bunch of conversations and people were like, felt free to be a certain way during my concerts. My concerts were a safe space. Uh, I had people talk to me how they came out to their parents and they could relate to me. It was, I feel there's no point in having privilege and having uh, la visibilité if you can't use it for the greater good. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.
1: De
0: for those of you in quebec you can catch her on la Voix starting february 9th and make sure to check out her catalogue on spotify or wherever you stream your music she'll also be touring select cities in canada and the u.s this spring and of course you can follow her on instagram at Beatrice Pirate.
1: Obsession. obsession what are you obsessed with what am i obsessed with what are you obsessed with?
0: I am obsessed with Euphoria. Oh. You t- told me about it yeah, a few a months show. ago. And I mean, obviously everyone has been talking about it for months and months. I even spent the extra $9.99 to get my HBO add on just wow. so I could watch <laughs> Euphoria. Um, and I loved it. I watched it all in a day. Um, I feel like it's a cross between Riverdale and American Psycho. Hey, I'm Rue. I'm an addict. You're about to start a brand new chapter. Some new girl in town that I think you're going to be friends with. What really drew me into the show was just the, the creation of this suburban California universe. It's the colors The cinematography, the way that it's filmed, the soundtrack is so evocative and sensual. And it is the most sexually charged show I have ever seen in my life.
1: And it's a teen soap opera. Which is
0: kind of disturbing. It's it's really fucked up. You kept telling me about the hot dads, in particular Eric Dane, who's on the show formerly of Grey's Anatomy. And I feel like on gay Twitter, everyone has always been talking about him. very
1: thirsty with him. But
0: for me, it's all about his son, the character Nate Jacobs, who's played by this Australian actor named Jacob O'Lordy, who... I have not felt a celebrity crush in this way in a very long time. Actually, that's the reason that I went on Grindr, because I got (laughs) freaking turned on by this guy. And what's sad, and like the whole time that I'm watching it, because his character is basically a teenage... The character is a teenager, the actor is not, just to be clear. They're never Um, never teenagers. And no 17-year-old has ever looked like that. (laughs) Um, but his character is misogynistic, psychotic, violent, vicious, abusive. He is basically Patrick Bateman's He's son. M- m- toxic masculinity he- embodied. Yeah. The question that I kept asking myself... And you myself were attracted about, to him? I was so attracted to him. And not just the actor who's gorgeous, but like I'm attracted to that character. Hmm. And I've always been... An, I, you know, he has this thing with one of the characters on the show named Jules who is trans, and they have this very, like, kind of fucked up connection, and he's a bully. There is this weird relationship that exists between bullies and their victims, this underlying mutual attraction wow. that is really fucked up. And the whole time that I was watching the show, I was just kept asking myself, like, why have I always been attracted to that type of person like it's so wrong and jewel said something on the show that really stuck with me and her whole thing was if she can conquer a man she can conquer femininity and i have to say that for me too i've always felt that there is sort of this feeling of accomplishment when as a trans woman
1: you can seduce a guy like nate it's pretty deep
0: What's your obsession? Oh,
1: my God. Winter means 90-day fiancé season. Just staying in <laughs> and binge-watching. So, okay. I feel, you know, straight guys have superhero movies. They have the Marvel extended universe with all the characters who, like, are in different movies. And I feel women and queer people, we have 90-day fiancé. So there's been, a lot, uh, there's been seven seasons. I was in a really dark place. But everything changed after I met my soulmate on Instagram. I have never met Vara in person.
0: So I've decided to go to Russia. To Break down the premise. Story. So the, pre- the ads are always very unclear. Because when I, whenever I'm in a hotel, the first thing I do is locate TLC on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> and then I always see all the ads for 90 Day Fiance. And it's always kind of confusing.
1: So 90 days refers to the time period that people have to get married if they're a foreigner moving to the United States with a partner. And they intend on immigrating to the U.S. It's a specific visa. That's what it refers to. Okay. So the show would follow... An American-born person, uh, men or women, dating someone from outside the country. And they have different life stories, different ways they met. Um, Sometimes sex tourism is involved. Sometimes it's a lonely person living in Russia meeting a hot trainer guy. Right. And from what I've seen, it always seems like the foreigner
0: is trying to escape some kind of situation or just build a life in the States. And they choose these American targets and their American targets tend to be people who can't really find love.
1: That's the thing. That's that's kind of the Trumpian explanation. It frames the foreigner as the person who wanted he wants to take advantage of the poor American who just wants to help. But but it goes both ways. But it goes both ways. Is the desperation is often also so felt by the American um, partners who are just so pressured by you know they have usually like find either financial troubles they have kids. Um, but the part that is also interesting is they're usually from a different culture it's really rare that you would have like an anglo either like australian british or canadian sort of partnering with another white anglo-american so there's exactly there's always a language
0: barrier google translate is the glue of these relationships
1: (laughs) there's one specific relationship this season okay i'm so excited so anna um she has three kids she lives in nebraska and and her passion is beekeeping Okay. It's a real She's passion. a beekeeper. She's a beekeeper. And she's met Marcel, who's Turkish, from Turkey, who's a beekeeper online. Oh. And, you know, she's looking for love. And he's looking for, I think, a different life. He's Muslim. She's Christian. She drinks. He doesn't drink. So very different. He doesn't speak English. So... They meet online and for some reason they decide to get married. But anytime they need to communicate, they use Google Translate. They literally type in and then translate in English yeah. or Turkish. The only thing he knows how to say in English is, Anna, I want to kiss you. And that's the only <laughs> thing he says. But they're getting married. These people are delusional. So, But they all make that decision very fast. Right. Like they don't really know each other. Well,
0: I remember one episode that I saw. Um, it was like this you know, young, blonde, American guy who was traveling to meet his hopeful fiance um, somewhere in South America. But this, like, small village, it was, like, a nightmare for him to get there. Um, He has no idea where he is. I feel like he is, like, putting himself in such a dangerous situation. And I think, like, that desperation on both sides often in the show kind of really makes me sad. Like, that's why I've never been able to fully get into it because that show, more than anything else on TLC, feels very real. It's a
1: real. I feel it's a real portrait of where we're at as a culture and the, some good things. Like, I feel like lo- looking for the other and being open. And I, I, sometimes they're really interesting and yeah. cool stories. Like, in this season, there's, like, a Brazilian girl. She's, like... 23 and she's dating this guy who's almost 50 but she's kind of becoming friends with his ex and it's like a really cool <laughs> thing that fans are loving online right. um, so anyways it's a, it's, a, it's an extended universe I'm really you know it I'm really obsessed with it and this season in one of the franchises that's called before the 90 days. So it's before they decide to get married. There's going to be the first queer couple.
0: Oh, uh, finally. Finally.
1: After all these seasons of all these different shows, um, there's Stephanie and Erica from Australia and um, the U.S. Okay. And it baffles me because they met online. And it's like there's really no one closer to where you live that you could be dating but no apparently not um so we're, we're going to be meeting them and oh, i'm so excited i'm just so interested to because i think that the real equality is queers being able to be as trashy as straight people let's get real <laughs> so i'm really i'm really looking forward to that And there's so much more to say about 90 Day Fiancé. If you want to read more about our takes on the obsessions, you can check out our biweekly column on Daily Extra's website. Visit dailyextra.com. That's dailyxtra.com. Chosen Family is produced by me, Trana Winter. And me, Thomas LeBlanc, with Crystal Duhaime. Crystal also edits and mixes the show. Chosen Family's music is by the Lost Boys. Judy Zigu is our digital producer. Tanya Springer is a senior producer of CBC Podcasts. And Arif Nirani is the executive producer. And if you haven't already, join the Facebook group. Chosen Family is a CBC podcast originally developed in association with Fi Studio.
0: Listen to Chosen Family wherever you get your podcasts.